0: Hello everybody, good morning, my name is Matt Kuntz, some of you guys know me, I've met a number of you actually in Ecuador, the first time I met anybody from this church was Lanny, we were in Ecuador when we met, and I am a missionary and I live there, and I've been back here a couple times to visit with you guys, and you guys are actually part of the reason we are on the mission field, you're part of our team, you send us there, so thank you. We came back to come and talk to everybody because you guys make it possible for us to be missionaries. And sometimes when you guys hear about missionaries, they come and talk at Sunday school and they preach a sermon. You get done and you think, wow, those missionaries are really impressive. And you guys who know us, you know that we're not that kind of missionary. We're really unimpressive. I showed up late to Sunday school today. And I was teaching. I was eating an apple during the songs just to have enough energy to preach the sermon. Because we are not impressive people. We do this as teamwork. And we're glad to have you on our team. So thank you for that. And in the back, or in the front, wherever, at the table, right before you walk in these doors, there is actually, my wife set out some baskets that have some Ecuadorian candy you can try out, but also have prayer cards. Because we are not impressive and we need your help, I would love it if you guys would grab our prayer cards, pop it on your fridge or somewhere you'd remember, and then pray for us. And while you're out there, there's, I saw three other families have prayer cards out there. If you don't have those, grab those too and pray for those guys too. Now on the bottom of our prayer cards, there is some QR codes where you can sign up. The reason there's QR codes on our prayer cards is because I was here three and a half years ago and Jared said, you need some QR codes on your cards. So couldn't last time. But this time, I could. He's the one who told me about that. So if you don't like QR codes, blame Jared. If you like them, blame Jared. Now, you can sign up for our e- email newsletter. I would love if you guys did that. That's a QR code down here. And we'll send out a video about once a month telling about what's going on. You can pray for us. If you just got a tax return or stopped a car payment or you're, you canceled Netflix and you want to find something to do with that extra money, there's another QR code where you can give to the ministry we're doing right down here you can do all those things also the old-fashioned way where you write your name and your email address and put things in here but the thing is you have to give this back to me because a lot of times people say yes i want to sign up for your newsletter and they take this and they walk away and they're not on our newsletter so if you take one of these fill it out and then give it right back to me and we'll do it that way but definitely take one of these and look at our our cute kids And pray for us um, because we need your prayers. But that being said, we're going to open up God's word today. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to focus on verse 3. But we need the context. So I'm going to read to you guys 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the 3rd day in accordance with scriptures and that he appeared to save us then the 12 Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we study your word, I pray that you would help us to understand it and to see wonderful, rich, beautiful things in it. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. All right. So I've got to do a little bit of context. The book of 1 Corinthians is an entire book of this is better than that. But before any of that, verse 1, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Gospel is a message. That's the definition of it. It's a good news message that I preached Message, so he's talking about a message and if I was the pastor here and I had weeks to preach about this I would talk about that more, but I don't Then there's there's our verse verse three. We'll talk about that later Then after the verse he tells them Christ's sacrifice was accepted. He was resurrected. God said yes I I accept the payment and then after that he teaches that it's a fact He says, listen, guys, what I'm talking about is not some mystical philosophy. It's not like Jesus rose again in our heart. There's people around here. 500 people saw him at one time. Most of them are still alive. That's what he says. Go ask them. Because I'm talking about something that really happened. But what he says is most important, the focus of this sermon is verse 3. What is most important? What I delivered to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, you guys might know this, but you might not have thought about it. I'm guessing you know this, but you drive around Texas or Arkansas, and there's a lot of churches, a lot more than I'm used to seeing. And all those churches, they have different names. They might be Baptist or Methodist or Assemblies of God or whatnot. Up on the church, they have a symbol. Every single church, the symbol is the same thing. It's an empty tomb. No. It's a manger. a little baby. No. It's broken bread and fish. Nope. It's water turning into wine. No. It's a calendar with six days on it. No. It's not a donkey. It's not an elephant. It's a cross. The symbol of every single church is the cross because it is the center of Everything i'll tell you what is first importance that christ died for our sins So paul says right here and like I said the whole book of first corinthians Is dealing with what's important and what's not what's what's important and what's less important because we have to have these categories We have to say yeah, that's good, but it's not as good Okay, because everything's got some good to it and he starts out in in first corinthians chapter 12 He's like you guys are all into speaking in tongues and that's great, but A thousand to one, I would choose prophecy over speaking in tongues. And I need you guys to do that as well because the truth being spoken, remember verse one of 15 is preaching this gospel. The truth being spoken is more important than you guys feeling better. But let me show you a higher way, even more important, and then he gets into 13 and it's love. And by the end of 13, he's saying, faith is good, hope is good, love is better. Right? And by the time we get to chapter 15 he shows us the prophecy the truth the truest truth the most loving love is christ dying for our sins and he says this is more important and i don't want you guys to miss the fact that he does it's the bible i'm not saying a lot of times preachers will say this is the most important thing you're going to see i'm not saying that paul said first importance because there are levels of importance And if we don't learn this, we will do work that doesn't matter. And we'll be busy all our life and accomplish nothing. This is the difference between accomplishing something or accomplishing nothing. This is the difference between having a life that's full or having a life that's busy. Because if you spin your wheels on the wrong stuff, you're going to be really disappointed at the end. And We're finite creatures. We can only do so much. So the question is not, will I miss out? Everybody's talking about FOMO. If you know about that, the fear of missing out, and they're like, oh no, if I do this, will I miss out? I guarantee you, you're going to miss out. So your job is to choose what you miss out on. And you got to practice saying no, 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 no to all this stuff so that you can say yes to this stuff because there are priorities in life. And a college teacher I had way back in the day taught me an example of this. Perhaps you've heard it, but he said that one of his professors had a jar. And he put a bunch of big rocks in there. And he asked the class, is this jar full? And they looked at him, and they were like, yeah, it's full. And he's like, ha. And he took small rocks, and he put them in their gravel type stuff, and he shook it down, and it filled up all the cracks. And he's like, is it full now? And they're like, okay. But then he put sand in there and he shook it down and it all fit inside and it filled in more. And he said, is it full now? And they didn't want to answer because he's tricking them. You can't trick people so long and them still answer you. So they just sat silent and he poured water in there. And he said, you know, he's showing them that there's more space, more space. And he asked the students, what does this teach us? And apparently a law student raised his hand, and he said, it teaches us that there's always room for a little bit more. And I guess you could get that. But what the teacher said, no, the real point of this is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, they'll never fit. And this is a good thing to remember. Because you pour all that gravel in there, all that sand, and those big rocks aren't going in. They have to go in first. And yeah, they're taking up space that the gravel and sand wants. But your job is to decide what is important and then do that. Because if not, a lot of other people will decide what's important for you and then you'll do it. Or you'll just do whatever's, what everybody else does. And it will fill up your entire life and there'll be no space for big things. So we have to put the big things first. And I know probably all of you know somebody who's very, very intelligent just, man, they're smarter than you are. But they're unsuccessful. They just can't seem to make it in life. And it's probably not because of lack of intelligence. Obviously, they're smart. It's because they are focused on something that doesn't matter. They are the best video game player in town. Right? Or you know somebody in church who just is very biblical. Like what they say is just true, but for some reason they sound like a heretic like why and it's because they love a little truth so much that they don't have space for the big ones and that's what paul's getting at here there are things that are more important than others and the most important is christ and the fact that he died for our sins this is a huge deal you can love something true too much so much that it makes you untrue because you only have so much space in your jar. And if we don't keep the first things first in our life, if we don't keep those big priorities straight, what we're going to do is put our ladder up against a wall, and we're going to spend our life, our time, our money, our energy, climbing that ladder, reaching up higher. And when we get to the end of it, we'll realize we're on the wrong wall. But we worked hard, and it's so much better When you're climbing the ladder for one of the rungs to fall out, have some difficulties on the way because it is way worse, way worse to climb all the way up and realize it's the wrong place. It is way easier in your life if you never achieve the pointless goal you're trying to achieve. Because once you do achieve your pointless goal, it feels empty. Especially if you put a lot of hope in that goal. That's why celebrities go crazy, because they had some big goals that are the most important things. The big three stones that went in there, I want to be famous, I want to be beautiful, I want to be rich. And they worked hard, and they're grinding, and then they get it. They got it all. And it doesn't satisfy, because it's the wrong priority. And then they shave their head and go crazy. And guys, we laugh, but we do that stuff too. I had a a young guy at a leadership conference when I was teaching about this in Ecuadorian youth. And he said, I was teaching about priorities, and afterwards he pulled me aside and he's like, I know exactly what you're talking about because I almost lost it. My whole goal growing up was to go to the United States. That was it. If I get there. And when I got older, I got a scholarship, and I went to college in Texas. And it, it it didn't satisfy anything. I was just in America. He said, for two years, like he was unstable. It's that seasick feeling. When you, you're not hurt from the outside. It's so much easier if something gets in the way of your goal. It's so much harder if your goal is pointless. That hurts you on the inside. It's like this rotting feeling. And that can leave people kind of reeling. So that's why I'm going to help you. Because a lot of goals aren't important. What we focus on, what our first importance is, is very important. So don't find your success in the wrong things. And I'll tell you right now, if you are super duper biblical, super moral, you fight for life in the biblical family, you feed the poor, you care for refugees, you go to church and memorize all the churchy stuff, you have that catechism by heart, but you don't have jesus christ and him crucified you have nothing And you can get all the other stuff And not have jesus And that's why I say watch your priorities Because if the big rocks don't get in first if you say i'm going to memorize all this stuff and be super religious and then later on jesus You'll miss it Jesus has to go in first and that's his message This this focus is the focus of the entire Bible In case you didn't notice i'm guessing you have but It says I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that christ died look he's dying Christ died for our sin right He dies we sin he dies Which is kind of backwards, but this has been the message from the whole scripture because god said adam and eve you guys eat from this tree and you will die. But interesting thing, they didn't. They didn't. Their, their sin was on them, they were shameful, they were exposed, they were scared of God, their relationship was broken, and God covered their shame. And how did he do it? With they tried. They tried with leaves, didn't work. So he gave them skins of animals. To cover up their sinful nakedness and shame. And how did they get those skins from those animals? Did they unzip them? No, those animals died from the very beginning. Your sin causes death. But sometimes it's not your own. And those animals died to protect them. And Isaac, he's a promised child supposed to be sacrificed. And then there's a substitute that dies in his place. Judah, in the end of Genesis, if you remember this, his his little brother is supposed to be put in prison. And he says, you can't do this. You can't do this. If I go back without my little brother, my dad's going to die. Put me in prison in his place. The one who's free needs to be put into captivity. And Passover, and this is Exodus. We're just going through the Bible real quick. Passover. There's a situation where all the firstborns are going to die unless there's a substitute. A spotless lamb must die in their place. That substitute is there, and it it keeps going on. If you started your Bible reading plan in Genesis, and then you went through Exodus, you're like, yeah, I know these stories. Now we're going to get to the stories you don't know because you stopped your Bible reading plan at the third book of the Bible, which is Leviticus. So I will just give you a rundown. Leviticus 4, there's a sin offering. priest puts hands on the head of a bull. The people sin, the bull dies. Leviticus 5, guilt offering. I sin, individual, a ram dies. A couple chapters later, there's the Day of Atonement, and there's two goats. Well, first of all, the priest is sinful. Before he can even do his sacrifices, a bull has to die. And then after, he does sacrifices for the nation. And then there's two goats. One of them, the wages of sin is death. He dies. But another one, the wages of sin is not just death. There's more. The other goat doesn't get to die. He confesses the sins of the people on top of this goat, and he sends it out into the desert because it's now unclean and nasty and shameful, and we don't want it around us. And that's called the scapegoat. And you better stay away from it out in the desert, and it'll die eventually, but it has to eat all that shame, and it's out there. And you see it in heroes. Samson killed most of his enemies in his death with his arms spread out. Esther saw her people were in trouble and she had to stand before the king because the king is the only one that could save them. But if I go before the king, I could die. And she finally said, okay, I'll go. And if I die, I die. But Jesus sees his people in trouble and he has to stand before the king to save them. And he says, if I go before the king to protect these people, I will die. I know it for sure. I will die, but I will go. And he did. And you see it in the prophets. Funny, I... Seven years ago, here, not here, at school, I preached Jonah. And there's this great situation where there's a storm going on. And how do we stop the storm? Sacrifice Jonah, throw him over the boat, and then he's dead for three days. Interesting. And then, bloop, he's alive again. And and you see this picture where to save all those sailors, Jonah had to go in the sea. But if you want it really clear, 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah's writing. And it's so clear what the plan is going to be. Isaiah 53, 3-6, if you want to look at it, you can. But if not, I'll just read it. I get distracted when people are like, hey, open your Bible to this, and then I'm looking for it, and then I don't hear what they're saying. Your call. Isaiah 53, 3-6 Says the prophesying about this servant who's going to come and save the people it says he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not listen to this surely he has borne our griefs He carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's our role. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the center of Christianity. So if you're a guest here and you're wondering what Christians are about, that is the very center of what we are. And it was the plan all along. It's not something that happened by accident. He told his disciples, I lay down my life so I can take it back up again. Three of his calls from the cross were written in the Psalms. Because when he was inspiring the psalmist, he knew the plan. This is the plan. This is the center of what's going to happen. That is the center of all of this It should be the center of us as Christians. Some people should, when they see you guys, they should leave being like, man, like that person seems thankful. That person. Let me, I'll give some opposite because I want to think about how could this be the center of you? How could this be the center of your church? How could it be the center of the sermon? And it's sometimes helpful to see the opposite. If the center is um, be better instead of Christ died for our sins, if the center is be better, then at the end of the sermon, you'll hear me being like, so go home, read your Bibles, pray more, give more, do more, and you'll go thinking. You'll have a couple different thoughts. If you feel pretty awesome, if you say, I pray more than all these schmucks out here, then you'll be arrogant. But if you don't, if you're a little bit more humble, but I'm giving you a wrong message for humble people, you're going to feel depressed, and you're going to say, I need to do more, because I'm just not keeping up with the Joneses. They read their Bible way more than I do. And that, if the, if that's if the message is, be better, do better. But what if the message is, and this is real common in crowds I hang out with, no more. And then it's just how many, you know, catechism questions you know. How many Bible verses do you have memorized? How many theological books have you read? But the center, again, what is it? The center is you have to be a good guy. Here's a way for you to be the good guy of the story. But the center of the gospel, if we say the first importance is that Christ died for our sins, the center of the message is we are bad, Christ is good. And you leave from a sermon saying, I'm bad, but Christ is so good. And somebody's talking to you, and if you're a do-better person, they'll be like, that person thinks I'm bad. But but if you're a Christ-died-for-my-sins type of person, you'll get done talking with somebody, and they'll be like, that person doesn't even seem to think about them themselves at all. They seem to really be focused on Jesus. And it's an interesting different world. If somebody if you were to tell somebody how to be a Christian, you could tell them to do better, you could tell them to know more, or you could tell them about Jesus. And Jesus really is the center. And he died for our sins. Now, this teaches us one thing. If if our sins, the, the wages of our sins are death, then they must be pretty terrible. God must be pretty concerned with holiness. God must be kind of a stickler and that's actually what the bible teaches like adam and eve what what did they do so bad they disobeyed god cuz we look at that and we're like they ate a fruit like my kids might get spanked for that they're not going to get killed but the wages of that sin are death Death. so God is holier than we are we got to start seeing that that's all throughout Christ died for our sins So they must have been pretty darn heinous. We must not see them the way we think we do We might not be right about. Oh, this is important. This isn't sins are pretty darn important But at the same time Christ died for them, which means God is loving Imagine if I find something so important that it is worth life or death and you go on the other side of it. And I'm like, now I've got to die for you. That's not our response. That is love. If we say, you betrayed me. You cut me to the core. You are the worst. I'm going to give my life for you. That is utterly foreign. But it is exactly the center of the gospel. We all are the villains of the story. And the hero comes in and dies to save us. And we've got to remember who this hero who comes in and dies to save us is. It is God himself came down to become man to die for us. It's really important because, like I said, our sins are bigger than we think they are. And if I sin against an eternal God, I have eternal consequences. If I were to, on the way in, punch Lanny in the face... I would have some consequences lanny would stop liking me a number of you would stop liking me he would probably call the police i might get some charges if i punched the president in the face i would die i'd probably die before i got there i'd be running towards him nope too close buddy if i punch god in the face that's a different consequence every sin is a punch to god in the face And he's eternal. If I want to pay him back, I need to bankroll an eternal bankroll. And I don't have it. I'm finite. If I want to pay him back, it's going to take me an eternity. But there is someone who can pay and say, it is finished. And that is Christ. But a lot of times we like to deny our sins. So I'm going to look into some different aspects of sins. Because if we don't fall into this category of sinner, we don't need a savior. The most important thing is that Christ died for our retirement plan. No. Christ died for our crops to succeed this year. No. For our body not to fall apart. No. Christ died for our sins. And all cultures sin, every single one, but different cultures care about different aspects of sin. So I'm going to teach you about this. I talked a little bit in Sunday school. But I'm going to teach you about this. When we think of sin, the consequence of sin, we think of as guilt. Guilt means you did something wrong. Now there's a punishment. You have to pay for it. Um, so you sin, the wages of sin, death. It's easy. I speed, the wages of my speeding are ticket, right? And in Ecuador, they teach you very much the holiness of the law because if you're one kilometer over, you get a $120 ticket. no, doesn't matter. If you're going fifty kilometers over, it's a hundred and twenty dollar ticket. It's the same thing. But you you don't go over and they've got their little cameras out and you get duped. So everybody's going ten below around those cameras. But that's guilt. You did something wrong, you pay the fine. And the false gospel, there's a false gospel for all these different things. The false gospel that fixes this is the gospel of works. I will pay my fine. I don't know how. A lot of people make up how to do it. They say, you know what? I stole fifteen dollars from Lanny, so I'm gonna give forty-five to Ryan. And they say that'll 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 work. Or they just make up things inside their head. If I do if I'm gonna to go to church every Sunday, Sunday night, and Wednesday for 15 years, that'll pay back God for what I did to my family. And it won't. That's a false gospel. But we have this bad record that we do have to deal with. We need somebody to pay it. And the gospel says Jesus paid it all. To Tetelestai. Have you ever heard Tetelestai? I think I've seen it on somebody's shirt in this church. It's a Greek word, Greek couple of words, that we translate into it is finished. When Jesus was on the cross, he said it is finished. And, and we find that on old documents, old contract documents, where they would say the job's done, contract is completed, To Tetelestai. And that's what Jesus called out on the cross. So for sure. He paid it in full. But then there's another aspect of sin that we don't think of as much. We're learning it more now, and it's called shame. And I even saw when we did our confessions earlier, we talked about guilt and shame. Because guilt, I can say, it's paid in full. I paid my time, and now I'm out of prison. What happens to people who did something heinous, and they're in prison for 15 years? They paid their time. It's done. But there's still something, right? they got a bad name. They're a criminal. You don't want to give them a job. You don't want to hang out with them. That's called shame. They're stained by their sin, and there's something that's going to stick with them. It doesn't matter if it's paid for. It, it lasts forever. And you guys feel this every time you sin and you try to hide it because you know that's dirty. They're going to see me for being bad. And we're learning that more and more as we have these applications that we spend all day on, and they people can look at us and rate us like, I just put a picture of myself on there. I don't like it. I do like it. That's shame. And it's learning. It's teaching us how to care about those things. But other cultures in the world, that's the center. And that's very important. Are you unaccepted? Are you accepted? Are you an outsider? Do you not fit in? What Jesus says is, I went outside the camp. I was mocked and abused. I was stripped naked, spit on. The shame I took is the shame you deserve. So not only do I pay the penalty of death, because he did, but I'll pay your shame for you as well. And he promises one day he's going to wrap you up in white robes of righteousness, honor. He became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's glorious. In him, even shame is washed away. And if you remember the scapegoat, like... It's the exact same picture and as you go back and you're looking at these substitutes throughout scripture, you're going to see that they're not just dying Sometimes they're being thrown in prison. Sometimes they're being covered in shame or mocked And if you're saying right now, I'm too filthy too dirty He he's saying I I have what it takes to wash away sin His blood can make us pure and that's what the scripture teaches. Or if you say I have a bad name, I'm notorious. He says I'll give you a new name. I'll make you part of a new family. I'll give you a new inheritance. Yeah, your people are bad, join my people. You can come in. Or if you say I I don't care. Like all this I'm here. I am bad. Everybody knows it and I don't measure up. And let me tell you, you're right. You are absolutely right. And if you don't think that, you're wrong. But that's part of this gospel. You don't measure up. You're not making it. And Jesus came for those type of people. That's who he came to save. But that's just guilt and shame. There's this other whole aspect of fear, which a huge chunk of the world, that's what they care about. And fear is a consequence of sin. Before we had sin, we we weren't scared of anything. Now we're scared about, do we have enough power to to take care of our lives? Do we have the intelligence, the security? Do we have a future? And part of that, the false gospel that comes in to alleviate people, to tickle their ears with that one, is, I wish we could go back and forth, I'm more used to that, but is the prosperity gospel. If you are terrified, if you're not going to make your bills, you want to hear about a God that you can do some, some charming things to, and he will give you money. If your body's falling apart because you're old, you want a God where you can pray enough and he will heal you. And it's a false gospel that comes out there, but it comes from a true need. We really need all these things. We really aren't making it. We really are broke. We really are broken in our body. Our family really does fall apart, and we're screaming at each other all the time. Things aren't going well, and I would like a fix to that. And we have enemies that seek our destruction, spiritual enemies, physical enemies, But jesus said behold i've overcome the world He crushed the head of satan at the cross, but at the same time he's taking our biggest enemy Our biggest enemy who is it? I can't interact. It's a sermon our biggest enemy is god himself And on the cross he takes our enemy and makes him our friend because realize if you are a sinner, you are in a bad place with God. And if you have to choose your enemies, choose all of them except for God. That's why they have all these, these concepts where like it, it's great to gain the whole world, but don't lose your soul. Because there is one that's more important than the other. And you need to keep what's most important in line. And yeah, you have some problems, but the biggest problem would be not being okay with God. And what Jesus taught us is you could have your best life right now. For about 70, 90 years. And then your worst life for about 100 million bajillion. Or you could take up your cross and follow me. And have your worst life right now. And then have your best life for 70 million bajillion years. And I'm making up kitty stuff. Because eternity is just a word and it bounces off our head. But that's exactly what he's offering to break all of that fear. And you're saying right now, I am broken. I come from a broken family. My life is broken. I just can't do it. And Jesus says, I was broken. And behold, I'm making all things new. So, right now, what's left for us to do? Look back at the verse. It says, I delivered you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for sins. Wait a second. If you're looking at it, I said it wrong. Christ died for our sins. The key for you to have the benefit of any of this is that you have to be the sinner. Christ came for sinners. So if you're saying right now, I would love all these benefits, but I don't really have sin. Then you're missing the whole message. He died for our sins. It's our sins that must have been exceedingly heinous to kill Jesus Christ. You can't understand this if you're not regularly saying I'm the wrong one in this situation We're driving around the united states right now preaching to different churches and we are in a car That's a just a tiny little box all the time And we are arguing with each other all the time our kids are touching each other and that they don't like it and, and They're being too loud. So the parents don't like it and we are just being schmucks and all the time as As I'm in these situations, I'm like, you need to stop. I realize I'm a big chunk of the problem in that car. I'm a big chunk of the problem in this family. But that's a safe place to be. If you look at situations and everyone else is the problem, you are in danger. If you don't see yourself as a big chunk of the problem, you're going to go to the wrong savior for the wrong problem. But if you see yourself as a big chunk of the problem, Jesus says come on in Because that's who I came for came for your sins And that changes everything And because I don't want to leave you here I'm not going to do all these pages of things that it changes. I'm just going to do one So because i'm a missionary, it's important to know that this Knowing that this is the center is going to change how we do missions It is the center of our mission. So If, whatever else you're doing, if you're not proclaiming this message, Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, clearly, frequently, accurately, you're not doing missions. This is missions. And I will tell you, there's only one cure to our greatest problem. And the cure is Christ dying for our sins. And if we want to bring humanity its greatest good... I'm not saying we we can't do lesser good things. Like, if you watch the video, I used to live at an orphanage. I took care of orphans. I helped them make peanut butter and grow bananas. Like that stuff is important. But if their belly is full of peanut butter and bananas and they don't have Christ, they are doomed. So we gotta keep the first thing the first thing, and the second thing the second thing. Okay? Because second things like to become first things. They do, and they get away in the way of what's important. And if, for some reason, one of those secondary things is falling through, like I was talking at a Sunday school recently, and they're like, you're working with people who don't read. Are you teaching them how to read? And I said, no. Because I just don't have time for it. I don't. And it's less important. I'd love it if somebody did, but I can't. I'm finite. If I had a big old team, if you guys all came with me, You better believe it. I'd be planting bananas and making peanut butter and teaching them how to read and doing all the other stuff I do. But I don't. And so I have to think those things through. And if something of lesser priority falls through the cracks, don't think that you've lost. You're always going to lose something less important. Always. C.S. Lewis was talking to a pacifist society during World War II. And they're like, this war you're fighting, it's not going to fix our problems. And he said, it's kind of like saying, You were saved from a man-eating tiger, huh? But what's the good old chap? Hasn't done anything about your rheumatism. Because that's how we think. Like, oh yeah, you took care of this really big important thing, but, you know, this less important thing fell through. It did, and it will. It will in your life. It's going to. But they need the gospel, and they need the pure gospel. Remember what this says. Christ died for our sins. So, if there's another problem, if you're preaching a gospel where another problem is being fixed, Christ died for your rheumatism, you've got the wrong gospel and you've lost it. Or if there's another Savior, different problem or a different Savior, or a different way to get to that Savior. Because if you say, you guys are sinful, so what's the solution? Pray more, read more, do more. It's a different gospel. Your guys' family has fallen apart. You need to try harder. Who's the hero in that story? You are when you try harder. Christ is the hero of the gospel. So if you're ever finding yourself in a loop and you're like, this is not working, everything I'm doing, I memorized the whole book of Leviticus and I'm still not holy because our route to holiness is Jesus. Jesus. Without him, we can't get any benefit from Leviticus. You read Leviticus on your reading plan and you don't know about Jesus and you're going to fall asleep. But man, you read Leviticus with the eyes of Jesus dying for our sins and all of a sudden, boom, it's popping. And you're excited. And you're reading these Old Testament prophets and you're like, dang. Because Jesus is the life. He's the power. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Baptist churches. No. No. Except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through being really good all the time. No. Except through going to Sunday Sunday school every single Sunday. You just go to the main service, you slackers. No. Him. He is the center of everything. And I'm really getting distracted because I'm going to eat up your whole Sunday. Also, assuming the gospel won't save the world. What happens a lot of times is we assume that they just know the gospel. And they're like, yeah, they already have the big stones in place. So now we got to add in those little ones. Because there's a lot of space in there, and there is a lot of space. But there's a guy named Kevin DeYoung who was talking about this. And he said a movie, maybe you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet, but it's making me want to. It's called Weekend at Bernie's, where apparently these guys went and their boss died. But they had to pretend that he was alive in order for the mob not to get him. I don't know the whole premise, but essentially it's really funny. They're carrying around. He's got sunglasses on. They've got him in a suit, and he's dancing, and he's doing different things. And they're like, oh, Bernie, hey, acting like he's alive. And it's supposed to be a funny situation, but woe be unto us if our mission strategy amounts to the same thing, going into the world and helping spiritually dead people look a little bit more alive. Woe be to us if our church's strategy for reaching Texarkana is the same thing going into Texarkana and trying to make them look a little bit more alive when they're dead in their sins. Because the only way to have life is in Christ. And so if I go to a guy and I get him to stop being an alcoholic and put his life together and put some savings away and think about his future, and he doesn't have Jesus, it doesn't matter. It's Bernie, cruising around looking like he's alive. But eventually you'll find out. Eventually you'll find out that that guy under that sunglasses isn't alive or that ladder that you climbed up is on the wrong wall. If there's life in a tree, it bears fruit. If Bernie was alive, he'd be dancing. If your neighbor is in Christ, he's going to stop sinning. Not completely, don't get me wrong. It's a process. But if there's no change in your life, you might ask, ask yourself, like, do I have life? But when you're looking for change, if right now you're about to get real nervous, and you're like, man, I am i know I'm awful, look back five years. It doesn't happen quick. Say, am I different than I was five years ago, ten years ago? It's not going to happen all, way, all, all in a sudden, but it will happen. Because when there's life in a tree, fruit comes. But if you put a bunch of fruit on a dead tree, it doesn't make it alive. And that's what Jesus teaches over and over again in the Scriptures. But knowing this is the center will also help us when we're dealing with other religions because almost every single religion agrees with us on morality. They're agreeing with us on the family. We're going to be fighting alongside Muslims and Mormons in this abortion debate, in the LGBTQ thing. They're right with us. But what they don't agree with is Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. And that's the center of who we are. That's why we can't just team up on everything. Because we are very different. But another very important thing that I like to bring up because I'm a missionary is that if the center of this religion isn't do better, it isn't no more, if the center is Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture, you don't have to be awesome. You don't have to be an impressive missionary. You don't have to be an impressive person because Christ is awesome. You don't have to work up this flood of cool-looking things for everybody to see on Facebook that you did a bunch of Christian things or you memorized a bunch of Christian stuff. Christ did it for you. And then all of a sudden, you'll find yourself like memorizing Scripture and reading theology books and not telling anybody about it because you just want to. You'll find yourself living a way more moral life because you're just sad when you don't. And you'll say, holy moly, There's fruit coming out. And I'm not stapling it on there. It's coming from the inside. And that's what happens to us when we're in Christ. But it's not about us doing stuff. It's about him. It's not something you have to do. It's something he has done. That's hope for the hopeless. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for dying for our sins on the cross in accordance with Scripture. Thank you for being amazing, because we aren't. Thank you for being the hero that dies for villains, for giving us that type of hope. I pray, Lord, that that would be the center of who we are, that it would change the way we act with our family, with our friends, with our church, with our coworkers, with everyone. And even seeing that example, that we would say, this person just sinned against me, so my response can be to suffer for them. I'll take it because you took it for me, and I don't have to pay for my sins. So maybe I won't make them pay for theirs. Maybe I'll forgive. All these different aspects, Lord, I pray that they would, they would change our thinking. I pray that this would truly become our priority, that you would help us to see what is most important as most important, and prioritize that. And we need your help in doing that, Lord. So give us your power spiritually. Change our hearts so that we would. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thing that Matt was talking about. And, and one of the ways we do this is through the Lord's Supper. It, it's through communion. And so